Hello and welcome to Gloucester Vineyard Church weekly podcast. We're creating a community which brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're thrilled that you've downloaded this message. This week we're starting a conversation in our community about racism. For many of us, the events in the States this year and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement have brought this issue to our attention. And so we asked Nick to come and help us to grow in our cultural competence. We asked the question, why should the church care about racism and what can we do about it? This conversation is a primer. There is so much more to be said. So please take some time to thoughtfully consider who you can continue this conversation with. Also, just a quick heads up, Nick uses a word which some listeners might find offensive, though in context it is appropriate. You have been warned. So, without further ado, here we go. So, um, as you may know, Nick and Mel serve on the leadership team of our church, um, but they also helped us last uh, last term by serving as breakout room leaders, which was wonderful. <coughs> and... Um, um, what we used to do and what we still did, what we did this morning is before everybody else arrives for a Sunday morning on Zoom, we get the breakout room leaders together and we have a little chat. How's your week been? This is what's going to be happening. And um, I remember there was one week when Nick and Mel showed up before the meeting. We did, you know, the usual Zoom pleasantries. Hello. How are you? How's your week been? And um, both Nick and Mel looked super blue um, and kind of, you know, and Nick was, I remember Nick saying some stuff like, yeah, it's, it's been a really tough week and, you know, we're still processing a bit and I'm thinking, my goodness, what's, what's gone on in their lives that I've missed? Like there's something like what's happened. I don't, I don't know about this. Um, and eventually Nick shared that it was the events in the States. Um, that, that was the week when George Floyd had been um, murdered by a police officer. And he shared that that was actually what was upsetting him so much. And um, although, if I'm honest, I'm quite ash- ashamed to admit it now, my reaction at the time was one of surprise, um, because I was thinking to myself, well, yes, obviously it's a horrible, a horrible incident, but it's not exactly anything new. And we all know that the Americans have a problem with racism. Um, it's not the first time that a young black man has fallen victim of, of that racism. And I didn't really understand why um, Nick had apparently taken the events so personally. So anyway, anyway, our Zoom kind of our Zoom meeting continued much like this, but afterwards, I I couldn't shake off Nick's reaction. I was really personally gutted um, that one of my friends had been so deeply affected, and that I had absolutely no idea. And I started to wonder why I wasn't more deeply affected myself. Um, when I stopped to think about it, and what had happened was obviously deplorable and horrible, um, but I didn't feel personally grieved by the events. I started to just ask some kind of honest questions about what was going on. And it was questions like that that kind of started to haunt me for the days and weeks that followed. And honestly, for several days after that Sunday, I felt physically sick whenever I thought about my black friends and about discrimination about, and just about the injustice of it all. I think my, the main reason I, I felt sick was because um, for the most part, I was com- um, completely emotionally detached from the issue. I started to realise that I was never going to truly kind of love and understand my black friends until I better understood the challenges that they face in the world um, and the world that is shaped by institutional racism. So anyway, very long story short, I ended up going for a, a lovely long walk with Nick where we did several laps of Gloucester Park um, and just saying some uh, uncomfortable and difficult things 
some things that were not very easy to say. Um, I went along to the Black Lives Matter rally in Gloucester um, and have just generally been engaging with and reading into the issue of racism for the last few months. And, and I've come to the conclusion that basically this is a conversation that we as a church need to have. Um, so this morning we're going to start having it. Um, we are going to start talking um, about racism. And I'm really grateful that Nick has um, agreed to um, help me to start this conversation this morning. Um, and, um, but before we kind of plow in, I just want to kind of acknowledge two very important facts. Um, the first is that um, I've asked uh, Nick to come and speak with us this morning, not just because he's like the only black dude in our church. Um, he's here because he has experience, that he has thought deeply and also studied academically around the topic of racism in our culture. So while I've asked him here to speak about his relevant experience, I've also asked him here to share his unique and thoughtful perspective. Um, and the other thing that's worth mentioning from the outset um, one of the things that I've learned over the past few months is that when we, when I come to a conversation about race, it doesn't cost me as a white guy anything, because um, I have no experience of discrimination whatsoever. You know, I can run into these conversations headlong without acknowledging Nick's feelings. Um, so it's worth just naming right here at the very beginning that um, that for Nick to be sharing with us this morning, um, it's not exactly going to be a walk in the park and it's probably going to cost him something. And so we just want to say thank you, Nick, for agreeing to speak to us this morning. We just acknowledge that that um, whilst this isn't a painful topic for me to talk about, it can be a painful topic for you. So we just want to say thank you for your vulnerability. Um, but anyway, with all that said, I've said far too much already. Nick, why don't you say hello to everybody? Most people know you here anyway, but why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your life, um, what you do for a living, and about your recent studies as well. You're on mute, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Let me unmute you. It's uh, <laughs> a good start, isn't it? Brilliant, can you, yeah, okay, I think I'm unmuted now. Um, yeah, um, morning all, and, um, yeah, um, yeah. So my name's Nick, and as Daniel has said, um, I'm, I'm I'm originally from from South London. Um, moved to Gloucester with my family in about 2012, so we've been here just over eight years now. Um, I'm married, coming on 25 years to to, to Mel, um, who's also on this call. Um, I think just for the context of this conversation, you know, you're listening to a black man talk. Um, I think it's interesting, it'll be helpful for you to also just to put into context that, that my wife is actually English and she's white. So I also have a slightly, um, you know, I have some insight into, into what it can be like in terms of living in a mixed relationship in a culture that can sometimes um, frown upon that as well, which, which was part of our experience many years ago. Um, you know, we have four children. Our eldest is, is in her early 20s. Um, our, we've got boys young men now 19 and and our youngest is 15 um what do i do at the moment i, I divide my week um into two responsibilities I, I i i offer support as a caseworker for a national charity um helping people who have been victims of of crime impacted by crime in some way and then the rest of my week i've got my own uh, I'm, I'm, i've got my own private practice where i provide therapeutic support and and coaching so performance coaching so two separate services and um, which i do in, in the rest of my week which i've been doing for several years now um in terms of my my kind of i think daniel mentioned the kind of academic side of stuff um last year 2019 november i graduated um from university of gloucestershire 
with a first, thanks to God, um, in, 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 in social sciences, um, which, would, which had been a long-term goal of mine, actually, to, to kind of um, get a degree. Um, to, to do that as an adult, adult mature student was, was a real blessing. It was a real challenge. As part of that, my research project, I focused specifically on representations of black masculinity, um, which, which really opened up my eyes um, to some stuff I knew in, intuitively from the time I was been a young boy, actually, because obviously, as you can see, um, it's evident that I am black. So it's stuff I was really intuitively aware of anyway from a young age. But I think for the first time, I probably engaged with it at a kind of academic or, you know, rash, you know kind of really engaged in it intellectually. And it really was really, really challenging, actually, to, to, to come across some of the stuff that I did in that research project. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Can I, can I just say, Daniel, as well, before, before we get into it, I think, I think this is a really important conversation to be having. And I also think it's a credit to you to, to actually create this space for us as a church to be able to start this conversation. Um, and I think that for a couple of reasons. I think, firstly, we live in a, in a diverse city. And we, obviously, we as a church want to bring hope and joy to the city. And the reality is, at some point, we're going to have people who are in minority groups, who are not, you know, their, their skin colour isn't white, they're from different backgrounds, and they're going to start coming through our doors. Um, and I think when, we, when that happens, we want to be able to engage them in ways that are genuine, just as we would anybody else, as opposed to kind of othering people. Um, and these discussions, you know, what we're doing here, starts to raise things what we call like cultural competence, allows us to engage in an informed way, rather than kind of making awkward mistakes <laughs> that can come from lack of understanding. Um, and I also think the second reason is that I think we should, though we should celebrate our commonalities, I think being conscious and mindful of our differences is also important um, because our differences shape our experiences and, and actually in understanding our differences and the impact of our lived experiences, we're, we're better able to empathise with one another and love each other effectively, which we know to be the heart of the gospel. So, yeah, so for those two reasons, I think it's great that we're having this conversation. Nice one. Well, thank you. Um... Yeah, thanks for coming in and sharing with us this morning. Um, so, as I said, my main agenda this morning is to just literally put this on the table as a legitimate topic of conversation. And just because I'm really aware that, just from my own personal experience of chatting to Nick, it's really hard to talk about this, honestly, for the first time. And so I, I don't want that to be the case in this church. And I completely echo what Nick's just said about, um, about, I love that phrase, cultural competence. I think that's such a wonderful, wonderful phrase and something that I think we can all learn to grow in. Um, so Nick, I've, I've already shared a little bit this morning about kind of my reaction to George Floyd's murder. Um, would you give us a window into how you kind of received and processed that news? Yeah, of course. I mean, firstly, I would say that, you know, um, I, was, I, was, I was angry. Um, I think I think one of the things that it did, it kind of really brought to the surface this idea of um, racial trauma, you know, this idea that collectively when we see these events happening, there is a traumatic impact on, on, on us as, as, as black people. But I think for the very first time, maybe, uh, or certainly in a, in, a, in a new way, I think this kind of trauma impacted the whole globe mm. because, you know, with, with social media now, it was in our faces. Nobody could hide from this reality that this black man had been, you know, murdered by somebody who was there to protect and serve. Um, I think, I think I was, if I'm honest, although it shocked me, uh, sorry, it didn't shock me. I, I actually 
wasn't surprised at the same time. And the reason I say that is because um, it's the kind of thing I've, I've kind of been witness to for years. <laughs> Not necessarily the murder like that, but, but, but this idea that it's okay for black people to be treated, um, mistreated and, and treated as subhumans, actually. Um, you know, so I think, I think in that respect, it was traumatic, but it didn't come as a surprise at one level, you know, um, because I think that's something that I've been kind of grown up knowing that we're seen as subhuman in that respect. Um, but yeah, the anger was there. And also I think a sense of, which is really troubling and just speaking to other black men about this as well, this sense of powerlessness, you know, that this could actually be happening and nothing was done about it to stop it. I think that really reinforced, in a sense, what, what we have for many years seen as how we've been positioned within society, that that's okay and it's acceptable to happen. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's big. That's a big, um, that's a big issue to wake up to, isn't it? And I think what, one of the things that personally for me, I kind of struggled with was, was the fact that I, as a white guy, was, was pretty much completely uh, uh, ignorant of that. And I, it was a, I think following our conversation, uh, just personally, it was a case of unpicking a lot of the assumptions that I had about how the world worked and um, kind of the things that I thought were true. So like, I, I, I think I was wandering around with an idea that racism isn't really an issue anymore, particularly not mm. in the UK. Um, mm. You know, I can point to a lot of my, my black friends who are very successful, who've done mm. very, very well in this country, who are well respected. You know, one of, our, one of our church trustees is a black guy. And I'm like, so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I can point to examples of, you know, black people doing really well in our culture. Um, yeah. I, I honestly was, I, I, I think that racism was a problem that the Americans have, but we in the UK have largely moved on. Um, and also that I'm, I'm not racist in the slightest. I don't do racist things. So I'm not part of the problem. Um, mm. But I think one of the things as you've, that you've kind of raised is that for me, it was a moment of actually waking up to the, to the kind of the truth of what's really kind of going on um, mm. and what it's, what it's like to be living in a white dominant culture. Um, and basically as, as a white guy, I don't see it. It's the water that I'm swimming in because it's kind of, so ha, tell me how, ha, tell me about those assumptions. Like, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, if I, if I, if I kind of speak to the, to the ones you've mentioned, so, the issue that racism isn't really an issue anymore. Um, I, I think that the lived experience of many black people would say something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's subtle abuses um, to, 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 to write to outright verbal and physical abuse. Um, you know, even in my, you know, in, in since, since moving to Gloucester and working um, at one point, I was working in social housing and to have a, to have a, a young person that I'd been supporting, you know, quite, quite intensely for some period of time, call, turn around and call me a nigger, um, was a bit of a, whoa, actually, we're, st we're still here, you know? Um, but, but, but the reality is that it's, it's very much still an issue. Um, I, I think that if, you've not, if, if you're not impacted by racism, I can actually see why it would be easy to come to an assumption that it doesn't exist, um, that, it's, that it's not an issue. I, I can really, in a sense, I can really empathize with that actually. Um, I guess it would be like not noticing the impact of, you know, lift accessibility in, in, in buildings um, it, until you need to use crutches or, or God forbid you need to, to use a wheelchair, you know, until, until it actually impacts you directly, you wouldn't really see it. And I can get that, you know, it's like when we go on, on holiday, you know, it's only when we're unable to order a drink or communicate what we want because we don't speak the native language when we suddenly 
recognize, oh, this is a bit different. Mm. So yeah, I, I get that. Um, I think in terms of the the idea that racism isn't necessarily an issue because there are lots of successful black people, again, I would say that being successful in no way means that you are remain immune to racism. I mean, I would I would I would even argue um, that 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 actually it could make you more of a target. <laughs> you know, if you're successful and, and black, you know, we can see it even now, can't we? Professionals at the peak of success um, receive racial abuse, mm. um, just the same as anybody else, you know. Um, if I, if I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of football, historically. I've, I've read a really good book um, by a guy called Derek Baradwell um, called No Win Race, which kind of touches on the history of sport and how racism has been in it. But, you know, if you think about footballers like Cyril Regis, you know, who would often experience torrents of monkey chants in the 70s and 80s. Um, John Barnes, Liverpool, England player in the 90s. And other black players in the UK and abroad, even within the last year, have been open to, you know, racial abuse. You know, Raheem Sterling would be one that we're all probably familiar with. Politicians, you know, Diane Abbott, Labour MP, for example, received almost 50%. Um, I think Amnesty International did a Twitter study. And in the six-week lead-up to the last general election, Diane Abbott received almost 50% of all, all abuses on Twitter and, and the majority of those were racial in their nature. Wow. So, you know, we're talking about politicians, we're talking about athletes, and that's, that's just those. So being successful doesn't make you immune to racism. It exists for all of us. Mm. So interesting. Uh, I mean, I've got to say, since we've, since we've been talking, and since I personally have been dismantling my own ignorance on the, on the subject, I'm starting to notice this everywhere I look. So mm. now I'm starting to get really bothered when I'm watching TV and I'm like, where's all the black people? Like, why am I only watching white people? Or, or when yeah. a kind of a black character does come on, They'll either yeah. be acting in a kind of stereotypical way yeah. or, or they'll kind of, they'll be like a tokenistic thing. I was at, yeah. we were at a garden center last week and I've got to be honest, this, this really bothered me, but there was an enormous, and I mean, enormous, really tacky uh, kind of Christmas display that was up mm. Big mountain in the middle. And they had these all kind of like Bavarian, uh, like little scenes with little little figurines ice skating and figurines with loaves of bread and and figurines skiing down the mountain. There's just figurines everywhere and they were really expensive and quite disgusting. Um, but I'm looking at these figurines and I'm like, where are the black people? Where are the Chinese people? Where are the yeah. Indian people? Yeah. Every yeah. single figurine, and there must have been hundreds of them because this was an enormous display. Every single one of them was white. And yeah. I suddenly went, yeah. hang on a minute. That's like I'm looking at Nazi Germany here. Like this, where's the diversity? I mean, that, yeah. does that happen for you all the time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, again, I think that the reality is, you know, that's been my lived experience growing up. And I would, and I, you know, I can I can speak for myself, and you know, and I guess for some of my peers as well, because I have those conversations. But but our lived experience has been just that. You know, I, I I've jokingly said to people in the past, you know, you wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't believe that, that that black people actually use fairy liquid or you wouldn't believe that black people buy sofas because up until recent years, you'd never see black people in a, in a, in a television advert selling furniture. You'd never see black people actually using fairy liquid in, you know, the hands that do dishes. You'd never see black hands, um, you know, but 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 yet we do use those products, but you would never believe it based on what we see represented in the mass media, um, which I think you just you just kind of touched on. And it's this idea that, everything and i'd say everything including our history is almost whitewashed 
Yeah, there's this term we use called, it's all whitewash. So when you talk about, you know, America having this issue, but the UK not really having this issue, there is a tendency to actually dismiss or deny any similarities between Britain and the US. And mm. we've seen that over the years. I used to get in trouble at school um, <laughs> because I would often ask my teachers in history, for example, why are we only learning about X, Y, and Z? Okay, it's great to know about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, but in a very short span of time, what about black people within Britain? What about our history here? And it was, it was never discussed. But the truth is, we do have a shared history mm. with America, which can't be denied. You know what I mean? We can't ignore Britain's role in the transatlantic slave trade, for example, the colonization of indigenous people across the world. We can't ignore things like the Windrush scandal of 2017. Um, which I think David Lammy described as a national disgrace because it highlighted the mistreatment of, of hundreds of Commonwealth citizens who came from the Caribbean. Um, you know, there are so many other examples, but, but what they do show is that Britain and the US have similar realities that we face. Um, and actually, Britain's typically at one level, which I think is now coming out, have whitewashed it. It's almost like this stuff's never existed. We've never been involved in all of this mm -hmm. stuff. And mm -hmm. now it's starting to come to the surface, which I think can only be a good thing because it starts to actually, in a sense, validate first and foremost, some of what our experiences as black people have been, you know, to say that actually, no, it's not the fact that, you know, the guy, my black friend's got a chip on his shoulder about racism. It's not that at all. Actually, the lived experience of many black people has been this, and we need to wake up to this reality and own it collectively. Um, you know, so I mean, even recently, you know, this, even just this week, we've heard news that some of the senior police investigators who are responsible for the Stephen Lawrence murder, yeah, are potentially going to be charged by the CPS for, for, for malpractice because mm. they, didn't, they didn't do what they were supposed to do in the, in the, in the follow-up to his murder. He lived five minutes drive from where I, I know Dwayne Brooks personally, who was with Stephen Lawrence when he got murdered. So this stuff has been very, very real to us for many, many years, since teenagers. I used to play football with Dwayne, you know, so this is real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's so interesting. And like I say, one of the things that I want this morning to be about is, uh, for some of us, just waking up to the world that we're living in. And I yeah. think the thing that's really upset me over the last couple of months is, because as a, as a father myself, I, um, I heard one story of a, of a kid who, this, so it was a white family, and he was explaining um, to his son the issues of what was going on in the city, in, in America and, and everything. And this, this, this little boy said to his dad, dad, don't, please don't tell me anything else because I don't, I don't want to not feel safe. I don't want to, to hear that the police might not be completely trustworthy. Mm. And, and I, honestly, I, when, I, when I heard that story, I just burst into tears because I just thought, well, you know, my little girls are two little white kids. They're, they're never going to know that. But there's a whole section of our society and my friends who, for whom that's a lived part of their, of their reality. And, and I think it's just, it's, it's uh, it's a moment for all of us to wake up to that. I think yeah. to yeah. Uh, to wake up and to start to push into, as you say, just cultural competence. And um, so I want to I want to kind of steer the remainder of our conversation towards um, how do we respond? How do we respond as as individuals? And how do we respond um, as a church? Um, and I guess I just kind of want to ask Nick, like I'd, I'd love to hear what your definition of discrimination would be, because what we're talking about here, sure, we're, we're kind of zooming in on the on the issue of racism. Um, but really, there's all sorts of kind of discriminations that we could be talking about today. And um, again, from my personal experience of the last couple of months, I've realized that I am the least most likely person to be discriminated against ever. 
like white middle class well off male christian homosexual uh, heterosexual with no disabilities like i'm never going to be discriminated against but i loved what you said about when you kind of walk into a building if you've got crutches you'll notice for the first time how the building isn't set up for you so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you would describe um discrimination how would you define that um I guess, I guess, I guess, I, I mean, I, I used to, I, I, I stick to the word racist um, or racism because I think discrimination kind of falls under that, um, which I think is all about power structures and, and, and systems that, 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 that actually lead to the mistreatment or um, lack of opportunity or equality of opportunity for a set group of individuals. And in this instance, we're talking about the color of skin, the kind of construct of race. Um, I, th I think I think that <laughs> what's true of racism is true of sexism. I think it's a way of thinking. Um, I think it's an ideology um, which reinforces a false belief that you know black people are somehow inferior to white people. Um, it's it's one that that's even been kind of attempted to be justified through science, biological racism. Um, you know, which kind of put races into you know, said that races are biologically different um, and that and that actually these differences create a kind of racial, a hierarchy of value. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, all of that is about discrimination. It's about racism. And I think that the thing to start with is, is recognizing that this is this this I was gonna, this ideology, this kind of way of thinking has, has arguably conditioned all of us from a very young age without us even necessarily being aware of it. So I think the first thing to do is to wake up, like you just used the word, wake up, wake up and acknowledge that actually, where have we been conditioned to have this false belief, whether we, whether we choose, it might feel really uncomfortable to even acknowledge it. And I think you're kind of saying that, that actually, you know, racism has positioned one group of people as being more superior than another. And I think that's the starting point. And then as a result of that, it's okay, well, 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 what does that position in, how does that position in benefit one group of people over another? Mm. You know, how has that given one group of individuals, i.e. white people, the head, a head start, you know, a head start, which black people don't have, you know? Um, so when we're talking about, we want to live in a, in a society that's a, a meritocracy, that everyone gets, you know, opportunity based on merit and their competence and their, you know, actually we have to kind of look at that and think well some people have had a massive we're talking centuries of head start not yeah. just you know you know you started school because you're you were born in the one part of the year you started year seven earlier than me because i was a summer baby or all that kind of we're talking centuries of advantage mm. um, which which we now describe as white privilege which again can be a term that people kind of find really uncomfortable the idea that you know, how, you know, as a white person, I can I have privilege? That doesn't make sense, especially if I'm white working class. How does that mean I've got privilege? Well, actually, the mere fact that you are white still gives you privilege over someone who's black working class because you're still going to get access and opportunities that they wouldn't get. And you also wouldn't have to be kind of fearful or conscious of when you enter a space of how you might be treated um, because of that. So I, so I think the first thing to do is to, is to wake up to it, to acknowledge that there is something about privilege that comes with that. And, and I think that comes with learning. Start to have conversations like we're having, like what you and I had when we walked around the park, you know, which was, you know, it was, it was, it was equally challenging, wasn't it? You know, you know, because we, we, I think ultimately we all, we all want to, 
we're relational, you know, so we, we don't want to kind of be um, misunderstood. You know, we don't want to be um, cancelled out. We don't want to be rejected. So to have those conversations can be quite hard. But yeah, it starts there, I think. And then there are, there are some other things we can do as well. Mm. Well, let's talk about some of those things. Um, but I think fundamentally, before we do, I just want to ask you, why, why is this something that we as the church should um, step into? Because, I mean, I think we can, all, we can all agree that we as a society, we want to kick this out. But why is this an issue? Why should we look at this um, from the perspective of the gospel, from the perspective of, of Jesus? Why is this a church thing? Do you, see, do you understand the question? I, I do. I do. Um, I think it's like I said right up front, actually. Um, yeah. You know, I, the, the, the gospel is centrally about, you know, um, God let, you know, giving his only son, you know, sacrificing his son, as it were, in order that we could be in relationship with him. And we want to bring that hope to the world. And actually, the city we live in is one in which um, there are a, a range of different communities, people from different backgrounds. And I think there is something about the gospel that says, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, what, you know, every, every tribe, nation and tongue, you know, worshipping God together. And I think that we have an opportunity as a church to be, to be reflecting that now. Why, why wait till we're in heaven before we see that, mm. when we can be doing that now? And I believe that, 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 that richness, that rich tapestry of difference that we could see in a local church, I think does more to glorify God um, than a kind of mono, yeah, monocultural um, environment. So I think that also we also know that Jesus spoke out against injustice. He spoke, he spoke against, you know, um, wrongdoing. Um, you know, he spoke up for those who were marginalized. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's something that we as a church need to, need to, need to be doing as well. And there are different things and different um, places to be doing that. But, but certainly race would be one, in my opinion, which has been overlooked for, for a long time by the church, actually. Um, so it's interesting. I think everything that's happened this year has almost been a wake-up call to the church too, in my view. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I think um, I've been really struck recently reading and, and rereading some of um, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he planted. And mm. um, it's interesting because we tend to read those ones quite a lot and we tend to have our favourite little little bits that we kind of fish out. And we also tend to go straight for the bits where he tells us what to do. And it's all about kind of like the, where, where are my instructions, you know? Yeah. But if you yeah. read the letter as a whole and when you read lots of them back to back, you start to hear him saying the same thing again and again and again. And you start to realize that one of Paul's main agendas when he was communicating with his churches was about breaking down the barriers that people were putting up to separate each other. Yeah. Um, I think Paul had a, um, a really key part of his theology that when humanity was created, we were created to be one with one another and also one with God. And that's the, that's absolutely key to everything that Paul was saying. And so when he was, when he was writing to these churches, so much of what he was um, was kind of diving into and trying to unpick was the ways that these churches had excluded people, either kept people out from the church or divided people who were within the church. And you could, you read it again and again. Once you notice it, you see him doing it all the time. He's, and he says it really explicitly sometimes. He says, you know, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free. So he's breaking down those barriers that we throw up. But he also does it more subtly when he talks about how God is creating us to be a new humanity, um, by which he means he's bringing us back to the original design for humanity, that all of us are one together, that, though, that whatever 
whatever barrier we're throwing up, be it economic or gender barriers or race barriers, whatever it is, it's our job to tear those down. It's our job to create communities which, which, for which those barriers mean nothing, that we are all one together. We are all equal and equally loved in the, in the eyes of God. So, um, see, I love what you've said about that. And I think that's definitely our heart for the church is that, is that our church would represent the racial diversity in our city um, because you know fundamentally we believe that Jesus died for every single person in this city no matter who they are what they've done where they were born the color of their skin you know the state of their body wherever they're at Jesus mm. died for them and I think this is one way um, a one really important way that we can we can dive in and by having this conversation we can start to take those those barriers down um, so so thank you no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, and and I'll and I'll say that you know we 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 have an opportunity now because you know historically, you know the 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 church has has a has a has a backstory of of ex, of actually literally physically excluding people of color from local congregations, which is why you have you know um, de- denominations that are potentially you know predominantly black denominations now because initially when coming to the UK, actually churches were turning people away, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, so I think, and that's not the heart of God. That's not the gospel. So we now can actually address, readdress those things and, and, and turn it around, which is great. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, well, guys, in a moment, we're going to take um, some time to jump back into our, our breakout rooms. So we're going to pray together um, for this issue and for any other issues that are coming up. But Nick, just to kind of round things off, um, let's say we as individuals want to, to kind of dig in ourselves to do some stuff. Um, yeah. I guess I've got kind of two questions for you. First of all, um, having, as we've said, having these conversations can be difficult and often... Mm. Uh, I personally was quite scared and afraid of having a conversation with you, but I found it wonderfully fruitful. What would you say to someone who is worried about kind of approaching their black friends and just saying, can we talk about this? Yeah. Um, I I think, I think one of the things that racism has been very good at over the years is, is causing division, which we know again is not, is not, is not Christ's heart for us. He wants, he wants unity. So I think we go into it knowing that Jesus wants unity in the church and, and in society. So I think we, we enter it going, we go into it with courage knowing that. Um, I think most, I would, I'm gonna make an, an assumption here, most, most black people, um, if, 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 if they're approached by somebody who is, who is, who is white, who, who is coming with a sincere um, willingness to engage in this subject and you know, a willingness to listen, to learn, to understand and to be able to empathize rather than, you know, approaching with a view to, you know, um, yeah. So coming with that agenda, let's put it that way, um, I think would be responsive, you know. Um, you know, I certainly would be, you know, like you and I did, I'm, I'm certainly open to having conversations in a safe space. Um, so, so I think just be, be courageous. I would say start reading some stuff, looking at stuff for yourself. You know, ignorance can sometimes be used as an excuse for inaction <laughs> and, 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 a res- and a resistance to change. Um, I don't think ignorance is an excuse anymore. I don't think that can happen. Um, I would ask people to maybe think about, there's this term I love by a guy called Emmanuel Acho. He says, proximity breeds care, distance breeds fear. Oh, wow. And I, I, really, I really go with that. So I think you know, one of the things I'd say to individuals is actually, do you, ha- do you actually have any black friends? Do you have any black colleagues that that you actually take time to actually have conversations with, you know, um, because often that doesn't happen. That can be the case, certainly from conversations I've had. 
Um, so I would do that. Um, and then and then I would and then I would also move to to starting to challenge, start to like what you've said, Daniel. You you know, you've started to notice, oh wow, you know, start to just start to look around and see and, and challenge where you can in your sphere. And I think for anybody who's a parent, have those conversations with your kids. You know, um, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you want to start talking to them about the graphic, the, some of the graphic nature of what's happened historically, which can be quite traumatic, because I think it needs to be differentiated and age appropriate. But I certainly think just helping them to kind of recognize, ah, when we watch this TV program, what, what do you think they might start to get them to think and notice that there's differences and there's an imbalance in some places mm -hmm. and they start to consider that. Um, and I've got some I've got some books and documentaries and Netflix things that will be helpful to watch and read as a starting point, which I'm happy for us to I'm happy to share as well. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I think what what we're going to do is we're going to um, we'll send out some recommendations in the weekly email. So if you want to do some um, some reading or uh, or better, get on your Netflix account and do some watching. Um, I thought um, I can't remember what his name is, but there's a, a film critic I like who says that um, cinema is a machine for creating empathy. Um, and so if you want to create some empathy in your life, there's some stuff on Netflix that you can watch, which will kind of help you to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes who may be of a different race to you. I thoroughly recommend that. Um, and I think, but one recommendation I would give, um, the top one I would say is um, Nick, um, Nick bought me a book to read into um, before we had this conversation. It's called We Need to Talk About Race. Um, it's by a friend of Nick's called um, Ben Lindsay. And there it is. Look at that. Um, so yeah, we need to talk about race is an absolutely astounding book. It's about, um, it's, it's written to uh, the church in the UK. Um, and it's about having this conversation basically. And I think my favorite thing about the book is, um, Ben's tone, his conversational tone. Uh, honestly, you pick up the book and, and the hours will fly by because it feels like he sat on the sofa next to you with a cup of tea just relating to you and telling you his stories in a humble and and uh easy to listen to way it feels like you're having a conversation with him he's done a fantastic job writing that book and it's a wonderful way to as i say walk a mile in someone else's shoes okay that's all for this week i hope it blessed you and i hope you found it helpful if you've enjoyed this message, please share it with a friend, continue this conversation. And if you'd like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online. All the details you need are on our website, gloucestervineyard.org. Mm -hmm.